Welcome to another episode of the MedTech Matters Podcast, where we learn about someone impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Pemsky, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and host of the podcast. Today, we're speaking with David Fischel, CEO of Stereotaxis. David, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Very good. Thanks for having me, Sean. Great. So, uh, you know, why don't we just start simply with, you know, what type of technology does Stereotaxis offer, and what is the, you know, what is your target clinical area? Okay, sure. So Stereotaxis is the leader in uh, robotic surgical systems uh, to perform endovascular procedures, minimally invasive endovascular procedures. Uh, we're right now focused and, and have treated uh, over 100,000 patients with heart arrhythmias wow. in a procedure called cardiac ablation. Um, but we have aspirations, and we've discussed uh, more recently about efforts to also uh, treat other diseases um, uh, like uh, stroke and uh, cancers and, and coronary diseases uh, through endovascular means. Wow, fantastic. Now, you know, in, in looking up a little bit about your company and, and you know, the technology uh, beforehand, you know, it, it it was an interesting um, view of the of the the system. Uh, you know, it, uh, you know, you think robotic surgery. Um, you know, you think about the arms and the the different you know uh, instruments being you know put in, and it's it's more of a minimally invasive uh, solution. Uh, Whereas this is a uh, you know. It, you you say it's a robotic surgical system, but it certainly doesn't resemble that in the in the in the traditional sense. So, can you explain a little bit about how it functions and and how it uh, how it operates, why it's classified as a robotic system, and you know what kind of makes it unique? Sure. So you're you're right. A robot is not a robot is not a robot. The mechanism of action is very important. And when most people think about robotic surgical systems, they think about uh, transitioning laparoscopic or open surgeries uh, to robotic to robotic uh, tools, um, mm-hmm. and in those cases you have uh, functional devices, um, scissors, graspers, cautery devices, uh, uh, burrs uh, that are entered into the body, and um, and so you have kind of robotic arms that are holding those and, and moving it. Endovascular surgery is a broad field of medicine uh, that has emerged over the last few decades uh, where you use the body's blood vessels as a a natural highway to get to where you need in the human body and uh, and to deliver therapy or to diagnose a disease. And and so that has emerged. There's, I mean, millions, uh, 10 million plus uh, endovascular procedures being done every year. Um, it's, It's very common for a broad range of diseases. And the challenge in endovascular surgery is that a physician has control over a, a catheter is, is typically the medical device that is being navigated through the blood vessels. And so a physician has control of, the, of one end of the catheter at the access site, usually near the patient's leg. But the mm-hmm. therapy is delivered two, three, four feet away at the tip of the catheter. And a catheter has to be flexible because it's navigating through the bloody, body's blood vessels. And so navigating a flexible device over twists and turns over several feet, and then trying to do precision surgery at the tip of that catheter 
is very difficult and uh, is not perfect. The mechanism uh, has all sorts of limitations in terms of precision and stability uh, and safety. And so what we do actually is we, we, we really turn the entire mechanism of endovascular surgery on its head where instead of relying on translating control from the handle of a catheter till its tip, we take direct control of the tip of the catheter. And we do so by using computer-controlled, very precisely defined magnetic fields um, that are provided kind of by these robots on both sides of the patients uh, that have magnets on them that can adjust magnetic fields in a very precise, rapid fashion. Um, and, and, and we use catheters that have little magnets at their tip. And that combination allows you to now uh, use computer systems and, and the physician is doing all of this from a cockpit, um, from a computer cockpit with a mouse and keyboard, you're able to control the movement of catheters with direct control over the tip. Wow, so literally the, the, the robot, and it, and it looked like two domes, just to describe for anyone who hasn't, hasn't seen the system, it, it looked like two domes on either side of the patient's, where the, where the patient would be lying in the bed. Um, so just to, just to ensure that I understand, basically what you're saying is a magnetic field is created between these two domes that essentially allows the surgeon to steer the, the tip of the, of the, uh, of the catheter uh, with the magnetic field. It, 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 can, it can travel through the body, through the vasculature, uh, with that exactly. magnetic field, and, and that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Exactly. Um, under, under each of those domes, under each of those covers, on each side of the patient, there's a, a magnet, and we know how to adjust. Those magnets are very, very precisely shaped and magnetized, and we know how to adjust those magnets to create the desired magnetic field where the patient's chest is. And, and magnets are these magical forces in life. And so it, it, you can imagine it almost as invisible fingers allowing the physician to hold on to the tip of the catheter while the tip of the catheter is in the patient's heart or in the patient's uh, blood vessels of the brain or wherever else uh, the catheter is. And, and that allows you a level then of precision. When you have direct control over the tip where the therapy takes place, you have a level of precision and stability and safety that is impossible uh, when, you're, when you're trying to control the tip from three feet away. And maybe you could describe a little bit of, of what the surgeon is seeing. You know, you, you know with robotic surgery, they're typically at a, at a station uh, away from the you know, patient's bedside. Um, what is the surgeon seeing? You know, is this incorporating, you know, imaging that's, that's taken place? I mean, what exactly is, is the, the surgeon's view? So in, in many surgeries, the physician has direct visualization. If, if it's an open surgery or they're using cameras, in endovascular surgery, you don't have direct visualization, whether it's robotic or, or tra you know, traditional manual endovascular surgery. The physician usually relies on things like x-rays. Uh, there's, there's certain types of kind of mapping systems which create uh, computer-generated maps of the anatomy of the patient, and they might use ultrasound imaging. So there's other imaging sources that a physician uses to, to get a feeling for, 
for the patient's anatomy and, and how the procedure is being executed. Um, in our case, a physician sits behind, and, and so typically a physician is standing over the patient uh, near their leg where the access mm-hmm. site is holding onto the catheters, and then they're looking at a large screen in the room and asking nurses or techs or helpers to to adjust things on the images, to give them better views of, of how the procedure is going, and they have to kind of coordinate all of that with, uh, with support staff. In, in our case, a physician sits at a large computer screen, um, uh, usually adjacent to the procedure room or right, right by the procedure room, and, um, and on that screen, they have control and they can see all of that diagnostic information on the patient. So they can see the x-rays, they can see ultrasound, uh, they can see electrograms in the case of patients that have arrhythmias. They can see mapping systems. And they can actually also take control and adjust their views uh, at their own dis- desire. And from that same cockpit, they can then control the robot and, uh, and the movement of, of the interventional devices. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Now, is the instrumentation that's that's being employed is that uh, uh, relatively similar to you know more traditional in, interventional procedures, or is the instrumentation? I mean, beyond making it magnetic, I'm not sure if traditional instruments are magnetic or not. But beyond that, are the instrument is the instrumentation much different, or is it you know specific to the, this robotic solution where it, it in, enables greater uh, capabilities or is it, is it relatively close to what surgeons are accustomed to? So both are in some ways correct. Um, I'll give you an example. So, so our, our, our main clinical indication that we've been focused on uh, for the last uh, decade plus is, um, is treating heart arrhythmias where the heart beats irregularly. And a very common minimally invasive procedure there is something called cardiac ablation, where you navigate a catheter into the heart chamber and then deliver radio frequency energy to the tip of the catheter to burn some of the misbehaving heart muscle cells. And by isolating, burning those heart muscle cells, you can put the heart back into a normal rhythm. And so, actually, the, the catheter that is currently being used um, for those procedures is manufactured uh, by Johnson & Johnson. And so, they took a variant of their traditional hand-held, hand-manipulated uh, ablation catheter, and they made a few ver- you know, changes to it in order to make it usable by our robot. And so, the changes were, like you mentioned, you, you put little magnets in the tip, uh, that allows the catheter to now be steered by the magnetic fields of our robot. Uh, you also uh, take out little wires that usually run the length of catheters, and you make the plastic softer. Um, the taking out of the wires and making the plastic softer is, is done because now you don't need those mechanical aspects of a catheter in order to translate control from the, from the base till the tip of the catheter. And... And by doing so, you actually get the benefit that now you have a much safer catheter because you have a soft, right. gentle catheter that's being navigated from the tip rather than a relatively rigid catheter. Um, and so that's, that's, that leads to all sorts of clinical safety benefits for patients. Yeah, I mean, that's, I would think, you know, you're, you, you're, 
your risk of of uh, piercing, you know, vasculature certainly would decrease since you're essentially, it sounds like you're pulling it, you know, through the magnetic field, you're pulling the catheter through the body rather than pushing it from, you know, like you said, three to four feet away, um, which, I, it, I mean, it seems like it would certainly be less traumatic. Um, and, and then the added benefit of being able to actually physically change the, the manufacturer of the catheter itself to a, like you said, a, a softer material, a less, uh, I would think all of that causes less trauma, which, you know, all sounds like benefit. Um, and I don't know if you had a look at our website, but we have a lot of the clinical data there. And when you look at things like perforation of the heart, a hole being punched through the heart by a catheter, that happens in, let's say, 1, 1 1.2, 1.3%. Uh, when you look at kind of a lot of the literature in, in traditional procedures, and it happens about you know, 70, 80% less uh, in robotic procedures. So uh, we have a lot of data on our website. We're very proud of our, uh, of our contribution to clinical care of patients. That's really a, that kind of that, that's the reason why we exist. And so, um, so yeah, there is data that, that has supported that. Wow. And, uh, you know, I mean, you've already, you've already spoken to quite a bit about, you know, or I should say you made it clear that the, the, benefits, uh, the benefits of this, you know, system over, you know, more traditional procedures. Um, but can you speak, is, is there an opportunity through the magnetic field, whether I want to phrase this so as to not ask you to give away anything that might be in development, but is there an opportunity using the magnetic fields to actually affect the the uh, the mode of activation of the instrument itself, not just the navigation, but is there an opportunity to have the robot control the you know, whether, let's just for example, whether it's a, a slicing mechanism or a clamping mechanism, is there an opportunity to use the magnetic field to actually affect that level of, you know, at, at that level of the instrument? We have, there's, there's been ideas and we've heard, we've heard suggestions for things like that. Uh, practically, we have not implemented something like that yet. There hasn't been a practical application where we found significant clinical value. So I, I guess I wouldn't say that it's not possible, but uh, but we don't do it currently. Right, right. That's that's fair. Um, now, I mean, this as as fantastic as this system is, as as I'm sure you're well aware, doctors are are you know like to like to perform what they know. They they like you know they're doing these procedures so many times over and over you know they they develop muscle memory you know what's the what's the learning curve and and you know how much do you have to convince a doctor to to uh, try this system or to you know be be drawn to use this system over you know what they're accustomed to. So you're right, uh, physicians. And me I guess medicine overall evolves relatively slowly. Um, uh, there is a, physicians and interventional cardiologists, electrophysiologists who do our procedures, uh, train for many years, uh, you know, between five to ten years, 
on, on these types of procedures and 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 so it is a there 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 is kind of a significant inbuilt uh, bias towards what they've been trained to do and not adjusting from that. Um, that said, at its core, navigating robotically is, is much more intuitive than, than navigating manually because uh, you have uh, on, on the, at the computer cockpit, you say where you want the catheter to go, you point towards that direction, the catheter moves in that direction. It's much more intuitive for a layperson. I'm sure if you had to sit down in front of the robot, within 15 minutes you'd get a relatively good hang on, on how to navigate, while, um, while, while manually you, it would take years to build the, the, the finger and hand control uh, to understand how to make a catheter move right or left uh, and, and to turn. And so that intuitive, it, it's much more intuitive to do things robotically but you have to overcome the years of learning that they've already done uh, during their clinical training. Uh, mm-hmm. We have fellows who, who learn during their fellowship uh, robotics, and many times they will learn it within a few hours and a few procedures. They will feel relatively facile. You have other physicians that uh, it can take them uh, dozens of procedures, uh, 50, 100 plus, uh, to become uh, comfortable doing things robotically. And I think we see that in, in day-to-day life as well. Some of us are, are much more facile with computers and some are less. Um, and mm-hmm. that's kind of reality here as well. I, I think kind of over time, as uh, probably kind of as, as, as more people are comfortable with computers and comfortable with games and, uh, and, and kind of just in that environment, it probably becomes easier and easier. And, um, and we try to help the process by starting things like fellowship training programs where the next generation of physicians are being trained on robotics. So that is part of our, part of our overall effort. Fantastic. Is there an opportunity to, to leverage uh, simulation software to help also, you know, train uh, and, and get more, you know, surgeons uh, accustomed to using it, where obviously it's not a live procedure, but rather than just doing it through simulation where they could literally do a procedure 25, 30 times, you know, with no, no, obviously no uh, potential to harm. Yep, we have simulators. I'm happy to provide you a link to an online access to our simulator, and you can even try yourself. Oh, I'm sure I'll save many, many patients. You know, with, uh-huh. uh, with my skills, <laughs> we, uh, but I, I do appreciate that. We we can uh, we've even done little uh, little gamification of the simulator to test certain skills. So uh, happy to have you try it. Oh, there you go. Put me up against your best because uh, you know I'm I'm ready for the challenge. <laughs> um, so but, you know, before we wrap up, I'd love to know you know what what's ahead, what's you know what's next for uh, stereotaxis, and you know what do you what do you see on the horizon? So, stereotaxis actually has a long, interesting history, and um, and we hosted just a few weeks ago in December in Innovation Day where we presented some of how we're looking at the the coming. Uh, couple years, coming few years in terms of development of the technology. And, and really kind of our focus is on uh, three overall thrusts. Uh, one is on making robots uh, broadly accessible. And so right now our technology has been adopted at over 100 hospitals, but it, it requires a significant investment uh, 
of both effort and cost and planning for a hospital to adopt our system, and that has limited its broad applicability. Um, and so we've, we've shared uh, news on how we're making robots that can be much more easily adopted, and, um, and, and I think that's important. When you have something good that can contribute to patient care, you need to make it also available in a, in a form that, that can be adopted broadly. Um, we talked second about a series of interventional devices. Like we discussed earlier, you have to modify them, uh, adjust them so that they're uh, able to be manipulated by the magnetic fields, uh, that they're kind of safer and softer. And, um, and so we have a series of those that both improve the product offering for the treatment of arrhythmias, but also allow us to start to provide clinical value in new clinical applications, uh, like for stroke patients or for those with uh, coronary blockages or those getting embolization for cancer, um, kind of in a few others. And so that is kind of a big effort is to start to, innate, to have this kind of family of interventional devices that allow us to have a broader impact uh, throughout endovascular medicine. And then the last area is related to uh, digital surgery. And uh, one of the benefits of robotics, which has not really been um, taken advantage of by, by any of the robotic companies to, to a significant extent, is that once you digitize the operating room, you have a ability to, to add all sorts of values beyond the mechanistic values of the robot, uh, informational values, uh, connectivity values, and, and so we, we are working kind of on a connectivity application uh, with the robots that, um, that should improve the operating room environment and the ability for physicians to collaborate. And, uh, and, and, and that also serves as a general platform for a broader uh, series of, of software offerings for physicians to help them, uh, to help them gain insights from their procedures uh, to, again, hopefully improve care over time. Fantastic. Well, you certainly got a lot, you know, in the, in the coming up, uh, and and it, I mean, it's very exciting technology already. But you have a a lot coming down the, down the pike, so that's uh, that's great to hear. Um, but unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this episode of MedTech Matters. I'd like to thank my guest, David Fischel, CEO of Stereo Taxes, for sharing, you know, what what really comes across as incredible technology and and is really innovative. Um, and as always, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. So until next time, this has been Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO, saying thanks for listening.